Okay, we're going to be in Matthew 6 tonight, so find your place there. And when you find it, go ahead and stand with me, wrapping up or getting close to the end of the Lord's Prayer here in uh, Matthew chapter 6. And uh, so we will uh, continue uh, with that series tonight. So let's start our reading in verse 7, Matthew 6. Jesus, of course, this will be part of the Sermon on the Mount. We're just pulling this part of it and focusing on it. He said, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Then he says, After this manner therefore pray ye. And this is the, this is the formula that we've been you know, coaching and saying all along. These aren't the exact words that we pray in repetition, because he just said not to pray repetitiously. But this is a formula. And so as we look at these constructs, as we look at these phrases, we're building the ideas that the Lord wants us to have as a structure to our prayer life. And so he says in verse 9, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as on earth as it is in uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then our focus for tonight, this phrase, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight, as sung a moment ago. Lord, it is a guide to us. It is a light for us. It does, it does direct us and lead us. And Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. And Lord, the gift of prayer and being able to communicate with you. And Lord, being here tonight as a, as a church family, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, um, that you would uh, help us to better understand your intent here for each of us individually, and then be able to, to make quick application of these things and be better helped as we relate um, to you. So guide us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You may have heard this before, but there was a, a, a Christian retreat going on, and four men were getting really honest with each other about the struggles in life. And so the first guy said, guys, I, I am so embarrassed to, the, to admit this, but I struggle with pornography, and, and that's a signature sin for me. And Next guy said, my struggle is gambling. And he said, no one knows it, but I'm tempted often to go sneak off to casinos and I try to hide it from my wife. The third guy chimed in, my temptation is alcohol and I've drunk more, way more than I should. And then looked at the last guy. He said, guys, I, I hate to tell you this, but my greatest temptation is gossip. If you'll excuse me, I need to post a few things to social media. And uh, so don't be, less of the story, be careful with, if you have friends that are gossips, right? You know, I think when it comes to sin, uh, the Bible uses the word tonight, temptation. Uh, it also uses the word evil. And for each of us, there would be things um, that maybe you would struggle with more than another individual. And, and, and that would go with your life stage, with your gender, with your, your psychology, your DNA, the makeup, the, the, the lifestyle that you have. We each struggle with sin. And in this prayer... As we transition into the middle of the prayer and towards the end, um, Jesus is instructing disciples to pray for the things that they need. And so some of these things uh, were, were, were things like, you know, daily bread. And that has double meaning there because the daily bread would be the bread of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And so Jesus himself was the bread. But we also know that bread represents real physical needs that are, are, we, we hunger for. And so there's the spiritual need and the, and the physical needs that we have. And he instructs us to pray for those things. 
But at the start of verse 13, as Jesus begins these needs, um, he, he uses the word chi, and it, and it means and, and it's translated that way, and it's a conjunction, and it just means that it links ideas together. So I'm going to emphasize the word and as we look at, let's look at verse 11, because he says, give us this day, again, our daily bread, verse 12, and then he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is something we need too. We need forgiveness from the Lord, and, we need, and we've already preached this, but we need to be ready and willing to forgive other people before they even ask for it. Verse 13, and. So these, again, these ideas are linked together. We have these needs for daily bread. We have the need for forgiveness and, and the ability to forgive. And we have this need, verse 13, that the Lord lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this idea that the need of, that God would give to us that God would forgive us, that God here would lead us. And these are specific things that the disciples would need, and the Lord knew that they would need them. And these are needs that we bring to the Lord every day through our prayer. Uh, oftentimes, and, and should be even more than once a day, we bring these things to God. And Jesus needed the disciples and those who were following Him. And when we say disciples, we're not just referring to the 12 original disciples here. We're referring to the men and the women and the throngs that were following Him as He as he preached and taught this passage. But they would have needs, and God would provide for them, both physical and spiritual. And he is reminding them here, through the words temptation and the word evil, these are, these are moral battles, and he's reminding them that we are engaged in a spiritual battle, and we need God's help. And so, yeah, we need physical needs met, but we have real spiritual needs too, and Jesus is reminding them of this. Temptation is a part of, of the Christian life, and it always has been. We're going to go back to Genesis 3 in just a minute and go to, to Eve, where, where temptation, we, the first time that we read about it, but it's a universal human condition. It's important for us to remember tonight that temptation is, in and of itself, it's not a sin, but it is the lure. It's the wooing that we feel internally that is often fed by other people or by ourselves or the Bible instructs us by Satan himself at times. And we're constantly being tempted to say things, uh, to think things, to act in ways that are morally wrong or could just be unhealthy and hurtful to us. Sometimes the greatest temptation that we face, and we don't even think of it as a temptation necessarily, but the greatest temptation often is apathy. Um, the temptation to not do anything at all when the Holy Spirit nudges us or we're instructed to do something that we know is good and right and true. And we, we think that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Even the temptation to not pray, uh, to, to, to not maybe be righteous, to not be friendly, to not love other people. That perhaps is the greatest temptation of all. And there is this inward struggle that takes place inside of us. It's a wrestling in our thoughts to do what we know is wrong, or more frequently, to not do what we know is right to do. And we struggle with things, these things, and if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and God is your Father, then you know the struggle. And you felt it. And there is this tension within our hearts, and Paul wrote a lot about that in the book of Romans. Our sin nature often hungers for the things that tempt us. In Proverbs chapter, se uh, chapter 6, we read about uh, what's often referred to as the seven deadly sins. And, and they are anger and envy and gluttony 
and greed and lust and pride and, and again, laziness or this idea of apathy and not doing what we should be doing. Sometimes we're tempted to do things that are minor. So things like this, maybe, maybe we're tempted, maybe we know or we've come under conviction, Holy Spirit, we need to take care of better care of our bodies. And so we, we have this temptation to not exercise or, or to not get out of bed or maybe we're tempted to be on a digital device too much, or we're tempted to eat too much food. And those things, while we might look at them and think, well, that's not necessarily a grave moral danger, and, and I certainly understand that, they are things that make us less. Uh, they make us less healthy. They make us less wise. They, they make us less of what we otherwise could be through the power of God working in us and the call that He's placed on our lives. But there are other temptations, and we know what these are, and they're, they're clearly wrong, and they damage ourselves. And the problem with sin and temptation and evil is it doesn't just damage self, it damages those around us. Sin hurts all in its path and in its, in its proximity. The temptation to consume, we're tempted to gossip, to not care. We're tempted for the, desi for the desire for more. We're tempted for this constant need for affirmation. That we kind of have, you know, we have, we have to be fed constantly for us to perform and do what's right. We're tempted to want what is not ours. We're, we're tempted to blow up emotionally at one another and give rein to our emotions. We're tempted to live and think as if the world revolves around us and we're the center of attention. And, and again, we get to Genesis 3. I mean, we get in Genesis 1, we read about the creation of the world. One chapter later is 2 and then 3 and then bam, here's temptation. Like right, like right there, beginning of the Bible. And the story opens with this in Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said, and here is this talking snake who is the embodiment of temptation. And he is engaging Eve. And he was great at rationalizing. He was really good at explaining things. Um, he was great at making arguments for doing the very thing that God said not to do. But he was so persuasive that here's Eve who knows the Lord, who loves the Lord, who walks with God every day. And he's so convincing that she gives ear to this, 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 this snake. And in verse 5, the serpent says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened and you'll, shall, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And from a certain point of view, what he said made sense. And he wasn't wrong because he's subtle and he's deceitful. And he takes some truth and he disguises it and he makes it look attractive. And in one way or another, we've all heard that voice of the serpent in our thoughts telling us to do things that we think and are convinced of in the moment are going to gratify us. Um, they're going to make us feel better. They're going to make our life better. But every time that we give in to the subtlety, we find the opposite is true. It hurts us. It destroys us. It takes away virtue and strength and life from us. And there is this back and forth battle that's just waging within us. There is our conscience. There is the Spirit of God seeking to help us and convince us and to nudge us to do what's good and right. 
And, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, the other force, the sin nature that we struggle with. I mean, I don't need Satan to tempt me. I'm pretty good at sinning on my own. And so are you. So you take my own sin nature and then you exacerbate that with the presence of Satan and the temptation of the evil one luring us to do what we should not do. And boy, there's this battle that wages within. I find, and I think you should too, and I think Christians throughout the centuries have found a measure of comfort in knowing that Jesus too was tempted. We believe in the hypostatic union. It's the big fancy word. It means God's 100% man. He's 100% God. He was both. So in his manhood, he experienced the things we experienced. And so he would have understood temptation in Matthew chapter 4. In fact, we're so close. Why don't you just turn back a few pages and, and look there with me. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. And, and this is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And he's getting things going. And he goes out into the, to the wilderness, the Bible says. And he's going to fast. And he's going to pray for 40 days and nights. And it says when Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness, the Bible says now he's going to be tempted of the devil. And so he's fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And it says afterward he was unhungered. If he was 100% man, you think? (laughs) I mean, some of us go four hours and we're myself. I should just speak of myself. I go four hours and I am unhungered. And he has gone 40 days and he is unhungered. He's alone in the wilderness. I I think to say he was hungry is an understatement. He's weak. And in the moment of this great physical weakness, in the moment when he's at his absolute lowest point, when physically, maybe we could say, and and I don't know how to describe this scene in, in any dramatic detail. I don't think we can underestimate this or overestimate it. But here he is, and he is weak. He is hungry, his body is faltering, and in that moment at his greatest weakness, who shows up? Satan does. In the weak moment of weakness, here's the tempter. Verse 3, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command these stones be made bread. You're so hungry, Jesus. Your father doesn't want you to die. You're weak. This will make you feel better. Break your fast for a morsel of bread. What's the harm in using your power to turn a rock into bread? Jesus said, verse 4, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. We do need bread. But more than that, we need every word, he says, that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's what we need more. And so there comes another temptation, verse 5. Then the devil tanketh him up to the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and says to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Now, now this is just, this is just dandy because here, here Satan is and he's about to quote Scripture at Jesus right out of Psalms. And there is a lesson here for us. If you, and this is a side note, a little rabbit trail for you. Just because someone quotes Scripture or identifies as a Christian or says things that scratches your ears as a Christian... Be careful, because Satan himself does that, and and he identifies with us in this way. So just because someone sounds good, looks good, passes the smell test, does not mean that they have your best interests in mind or truly identify with Christ. And so here he says, and he's quoting Scripture, it is written, here's what the Bible says, this is coming from Satan, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, 
and in their hands shall they bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. This is right out of Psalms chapter 91. By doing this, and Jesus would have avoided the suffering of the cross. And all along, that's what he wanted to avoid. And it wasn't so much the pain and the agony like maybe we would focus on. It was the turning away of his heavenly fathers back on him. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve before this, this, this historical moment and this, this uh, apex of suffering, Jesus is praying, God, take this cup from me. And so this is a big deal to him. And in so doing this, he would have had to go through with the cross at this point. We would have also lost our salvation. And Jesus knew that too. And he was on a mission. In verse 7, Jesus said to him, it is written again. Thou, he's, so he's going to quote the Bible with the Bible. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So you stop. And Satan's not done. Now Jesus is weak. He's emaciated. He, he, he now is... He is he is physically fatigued. And when you're physically fatigued at this point, your mental capacity, your psychological capacity, they're all affected in dramatic ways. And so now he's in the, he's in the heat of battle with Satan. And Satan won't give up. And he often doesn't. And again, verse 8, the devil taketh him into an exceeding high mountain, showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And then says Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it's written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus knew the voice of the tempter, and the tempter kept coming at him, and kept coming at him, and kept coming at him. And it's, it's an example of the kind of expectation that we too should have. We know the voice of the tempter, and he's never going to stop coming at you. He's going to keep coming at you until, until you're with the Lord. He's going to come at, at you. And Paul said in Ephesians, we need the whole armor of God that we can stand against the wiles of the devil because they're just going to keep coming. We need something special. And so in this prayer, getting back to verse 13, when the Lord says in, in verse 13, lead us not into temptation, what exactly are we asking for here? And I think it's a good question. And I've struggled with this in my studies this week. Are we really asking God to not lead us into temptation? So some say the word temptation can be translated as trial. And that the Greek word is interchangeably used. And oftentimes in the New Testament, the translators would, for that Greek word, it is used for temptation and trial. But the word temptation in the text is juxtaposed to the word evil. I think it's translated right. Temptation has multiple ways it's used in the English language, but the primary definition is that of tempting, enticement to evil by argument, or like, like in Genesis 3, by flattery or by the offer of some real or apparent good. So, so here's questions, and I'm going to be real transparent with you, that I, I like struggled with this week. Do we really need to ask God to not lead us into temptation? Okay. Why would God lead us into temptation? I, I, can't, I, I, I have a hard time reconciling that. If there were a good reason for God to lead us into temptation, why are we supposed to stay, why are we supposed to stay in it when that would be maybe the best thing for us, if that's what he's leading us into? But we're, we're supposed to resist that. That doesn't make sense. Okay, those are just logical questions I have. There are also theological ones, like James chapter 1. 
Because James said, verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and neither tempteth he any man. Why would God lead me into temptation? Why would I need to ask him not to lead me into temptation? Verse 14 of James says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away from his lust and enticed. So what exactly are we asking God for? Okay, the verse says, lead us not into temptation. Let me state it another way. This was my shower thought from this morning, by the way. John always tells us about his shower thought, so this was mine, all right? Let me state it another way, and I think it means the same thing. Um, Lead us not into temptation. Another way would be say, lead us away from temptation. It means the same thing, but maybe it lends clarity to our thinking. So when he says, lead us not into temptation, the emphasis isn't on the word temptation. The emphasis is on the word lead. We need God to lead us. That's what we need. Not in temptation, or another way of saying it could be, Lord, um, lead us away from temptation. And, And that, I believe, is the intent here. That is the idea, that God would lead us away from it. Why? Well, because left to ourselves, we're gonna we're gonna lead ourselves right into temptation. Satan's going to lead us right in temptation. Second part of the verse is this, but deliver us from evil. And again, the emphasis isn't on the word evil. The emphasis is on the word deliver. We need God to lead us and we need God to deliver us. We need his leadership and his deliverance in in our lives. And so let's tackle each. Um, First, again, we are asking God specifically to lead us. Lead simply means this, to go before and to show the way. Uh, we're going this direction. This is, this, is, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is the direction we're taking. And, and Jesus is saying, when we come to God every day, we're literally saying to God, God, I need you to lead me. Not in temptation. Lord, lead me away from it. Lord, I need your leadership in my life. When we are led by someone other than our Heavenly Father, we are often led straight into temptation. Consider the, the man uh, who struggles with pornography. Okay. He, said, he, he, he said, this is his struggle, I dabble with internet searches that are likely to turn up websites that are pornographic. In other words, I'm not actively looking for it, but I kind of dabble around the, the edges of it. But then when I get there, I'm unable to resist looking at it. Why? Well, who led him into temptation? Well, it wasn't his heavenly father. There's a recovering alcoholic. And she said she would go to the bar to order a soda just to prove to herself that she could do it. I can sit there and not order the alcohol. But she sat there and ended up not being able to resist it. And then finally ordered a drink. And she did this multiple times. Again, who's leading her? Well, it's not her heavenly father. It's herself or the tempter. Okay, questions for us tonight. And, 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 and this list could be as long as you want it to be. So find your own application point here. A few idea starters for you. Who's leading us when we give into our emotions? And then outcomes of our mouth or our vicissitude, our, our, our countenance, anger or sarcasm or bitterness. Who's leading us when we speak evil of another person? 
Who's leading us when the alarm clock goes off and we don't get out of bed? Who's leading us when we overeat or indiscriminately eat foods that are damaging to our bodies? Who's leading us when we're endlessly scrolling on digital devices? See, we need daily God's leadership. We need God's guidance. God lead me. And, and, and again, I'm not trying to pick on too many things that are like completely um, morally reprehensible or wrong, but, but sometimes we just give in to these things with no thought for what they're doing to us psychologically and emotionally and physically. And we need His leadership. We need His guidance. We need His help. We need His direction. This is what it means to be a Christian. We are followers, literally, of Jesus Christ. In Luke 9.23, Jesus says to them all, if any man will come after me, he says, you want to come after me? Then you're going to have to deny yourself. That's the virtue. That's the character. That's the Christian ethic. Personal denial. I'm going to deny some things that I may want to do or that I may just give into. And I'm going to deny myself. And he said, take up your cross daily. And you want to follow me? Then he says, and follow me. Like, come on, let's go. To be disciples, to be his follower. David wrote in Psalms 23, uh, verse 2, He leadeth me beside still waters. It was, the Lord is, in, is, is guiding me, He's directing me, and when I need it, He takes me beside these still waters. Verse 3, He says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. If we're not on a path of righteousness, then He ain't leading us. Someone or something else is leading us. We need God's leadership. The song Footprints of, of Jesus uh, says, sweetly, Lord, we heard thee call- calling. And I, I love this. It's poetic. It's old, but it's so good. And he says, come follow me, right out of the text. And we see where thy footprints falling lead us to thee. Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway go, glow. We will follow the footprints of Jesus wherever they go. Verse 4, then at last when on high he sees us, our journey done, we will rest where the steps of Jesus. And the songwriter says, and at his throne. And that's what he's saying. That's what Jesus is asking us to pray. He's asking us, Lord, lead us. Not into temptation. Lord, lead us away from it. If you don't lead us, that's where we're headed. We're going to head right towards temptation. And so, Lord, guide us and direct us away from that in our life. This is a prayer that God would be the one in charge. Not ourselves. Not another. Not Satan for certain. But, Lord, you. You lead us so that we aren't tempted, that we don't struggle, that we don't face these things. And in Matthew 26, later in this very book, it was in the absence of prayer that Jesus instructed us, we will fall into temptation. And so here he is, again, guarded Gethsemane. He's with his disciples. He asks them to pray. He comes back. They're asleep. What does he say to them? Watch. Be on guard. Pay attention. He says, watch and pray. Why? that you enter not into temptation. He says the spirit indeed is willing. We have good intentions, but our flesh is weak. And so Jesus says, we need to pray this all the time. Lord, lead, lead us not into temptation. Lord, lead me away from those things that would tempt me today. God, I, I need your leadership in my life. I need you to lead me in paths of righteousness. We can't be led by God minus prayer. And Jesus said, 
If you don't watch and you don't pray, you will enter into temptation. And no matter how good you are as a person, no matter how good your intentions are, the Spirit is so willing, but your flesh is weak. And minus prayer, minus this connection to God, minus Him leading you, you are going to be tempted. You're going to fall. Your passions are going to consume you and control you. And so He says, lead us away from that. Lord, lead us. We need your leadership. How does He lead us? Well, I think the Holy Spirit nudges our hearts to do something good for another person. And we need to pay attention to that. I want, you to, I want you to text that person today. I want you to give them that gift card. I want you to love them. I want you to hug them. I want you to greet them. Listen to that nudge. Pay attention to the Holy Spirit's voice. And I, I, don't, I think you could take this too far. A lot of people use the Holy Spirit, and I think, to, to, to say and do things that God did not tell them to do, and that would be taking the Lord's name in vain. We'd be careful with that. But the Holy Spirit does speak to us. The scriptures they, that we read, this, this word He left us, we sang tonight, it's a guide to our paths, it's a lamp and a light, and we need it to direct our thinking and our actions, and time in it will do that. Sermons that are preached and lessons taught will give us something we need to hear. Often, we didn't know we needed to hear. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's like, boop, you need that. You need to respond to that. You need to pay attention here. That's for you. A friend often will speak truth to us, and then that conviction from the Holy Spirit. We have to be in a position to listen to Him. He's, he's going to lead us, but if we're not communicating, and if we're not listening, we are not going to be led by Him. We will be led by another. So Jesus said that we are to ask God to lead us. And then He says this, and deliver us from evil. To lead us and to deliver us. Satan is an adversary, and he does exist in our world. I think C.S. Lewis had it right in his book, Screw Tape Letters, and he's writing these notes, you know, and uh, you know, this uncle and his nephew that are demons, and, and, and one of their greatest tactics was simply to, to help Christians forget that they exist, and that they're real, and that spiritual warfare is a real thing, and we forget it, and we lose sight of that. And Jesus said, watch, pay attention, pray. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, be paying attention because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, he walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Look, Satan can't do anything to you. It's not in his power to do, but he has the power of suggestion and he knows our weaknesses. This, this idea is so powerful to me because I enjoy fishing and, uh, you know, Butch Corley's here on the front row, and, and I know he enjoys fishing. I've been with Butch, and uh, fishing's his thing. What a great analogy this is. It was Charles Spurgeon who used it, and he was describing Satan's work of tempting us by likening Satan to a fisherman. And he said, quote, Satan watches his fish. He adapts his bait to his prey, and he knows in what seasons the fish are most likely to bite. A fisherman knows when the fish are going to bite, so he times it perfectly. A fisherman knows what they're going to consume, and if they don't bite that bait, he switches up the bait to find out what they will take. And, and Satan, the Bible says, like a roaring lion, he's setting the hook for you every single day. We need not just the Lord to lead us. In, in, in this type of scenario, Jesus says you need to pray daily for deliverance from evil because Satan's targeting you. 
and you need Jesus. You need the Heavenly Father's deliverance. Um, again, and I would point this out, and we've said this all the long way, he's not just saying that the prayer is not just for himself. He is using the word us. We need to pray that God would lead our wife and our husband and deliver them from evil. Our children, our church family, our spiritual leaders, our, 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 the leaders of our country. God, God, lead us not in temptation. Lead us away from it, and Lord, deliver us from evil. We need this prayer, and it's a prayer we pray, prayer we pray for ourselves, but it's a prayer we pray for other people too. The Greek word for deliver is ryomi. It's in our English word, it's the idea of rushed, and rush is derived from this word. And so in this prayer, the idea here is that when we call to God, we're asking Him, Lord, would you rush to us? Would you rescue us? Lord, would you make it a high priority to deliver us, to snatch us out of the hands of evil? In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find this imagery of God the Father as a shepherd with sheep. And, and He's leading His people. And, and, and part of a shepherd's job is to say, yep, we're going this way. We're going to greener pastures. We're going this direction. I need you to follow me. And so we're going to go this way. And so the sheep follow the shepherd. But uh, he, the shepherd also interacts with the sheep. But he also snatches the sheep when they are in danger, when they're delivered to evil. Part of shepherding literally involves protecting the animals from predators. And, and David, as a shepherd boy, said, he, he, you know, he's, he's before Saul and he says, I can fight Goliath. And he says, um, I have rescued sheep. I have fought lions and bears. Which, you know, it's easy to, like we're focusing on Goliath and thinking, hold on a second, the dude took out a lion and a bear with a rock, you know. And, and, and that's what a shepherd does. He rescues the sheep from the predator. David risked his life. And so in this prayer, we're inviting God as our shepherd to lead us, to protect us from harm. It was this last year sometime, and I don't remember exactly what day, but I was home alone with the kids, and Elizabeth was gone, which, you know, that preface alone should make you go, uh-oh. <laughs> and so here we are, and, and we have a dog. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a 25-pound golden doodle named Boomer. And my kids, like, they adore Boomer. Like, that, you know, he's more important to them than they are to each other. And so... And then actually, I think they would kick me out of the house before they kicked Boomer out of the house. Uh, he's a big deal. So, boom, I'm working in the garage, and Boomer's in the garage. We're all in the garage. It's a summer day. And I tell the kids, I've got to climb up into the attic. I need you to keep an eye on Boomer. Well, a lady walks by. She has two dogs. She's across the street. And they're big dogs, like 100-pound German Shepherds. And they're on these big harnesses. Well, Boomer just jets out there because he's a friendly dog. And so he runs up to this lady to lick her or whatever he's going to do. And so one of these dogs just goes into attack mode. And he grabs Boomer. He's got him on the jugular vein. And he's got him on the ground. And, you know, we'll just dramatize the story a little bit. Blood squirting out. You know, I mean, it really was. <laughs> it's a big deal. Well, Catherine screams. And she loves this dog. And she is freaking out, like just loses her mind. And she just starts bawling. And David starts running after these dogs to get this other dog off of Boomer. So at this point, I don't care about my dog, you know, you care about your son. And so David goes into like hero mode. And I'm like, my, you know, this just all happening in seconds. I'm in the attic, I hear screams, I come down and you see this scene. And so I just yell at all the children, go in the house now, David, go in the house. And I don't know what to do. 
but it's my dog. So this lady, her other dog had pulled her face, you know, face first on the concrete. She's in the middle of the street. Her forehead is bloodied. She's laying on her face and she's not getting up. And this other dog's about to kill our dog. So I just grabbed a shovel and I, I won't tell you everything I did, but I went to work. Um, and I rescued our dog <laughs> um, because it was a big deal to me. Uh, I was going to rescue him. I delivered him. And he's still alive. He's okay. He's got some holes in his throat, but he's okay. Um, that's the idea here. Jesus is saying Satan as a roaring lion or 100-pound golden or, you know, German shepherd, whatever you want to call him, he's trying to get you down. He, 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 he wants to attack you and hurt you. And the Lord says, I'm here to deliver you. But we have to ask him for it. And, and, and minus this type of prayer in our life, we are inviting temptation. Absent this type of prayer, we are inviting evil that will hurt us. Minus praying this prayer for those that you care about. You're, in, you're, you're, you're leaving them up to chance whether or not they'll fall into temptation and evil. We need God to lead us away from those things. We need Him to snatch us out of evil and deliver us from those things. We need Him to fight on our behalf and to be our shepherd. And, and He wants to do that for us. But He says you're going to have to watch and pray. Why? So that you won't be delivered into temptation, that you won't be delivered into evil, because those things will happen. So we have two voices vying for our hearts. It is the voice of the tempter, and it is the voice of the good, the good shepherd. And the question is always, which voice are we going to listen to, and which voice are we going to follow? And so James uses this idea of a baby to describe temptation. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. We read verse 13 a few minutes ago about how God doesn't tempt anyone. And when we're tempted, we can't blame it on Him. We blame it ourselves because He leads us away from temptation, not into temptation. But verse 14, James said, But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Okay, speaking of that, then when lust hath conceived. See, lust isn't okay. It makes something. So he's using this word of conception. So we understand what conception means. Okay, it's making something conceived, and it bringeth forth sin, okay? So this is the gestation part. And sin, when it bringeth forth, it comes forth. When it's finished, it says, it bringeth forth death. So here's the deliverance of the product. And the product in our life that lust and temptation and evil create is always death. And it's not just talking about like we physically die. It's death to relationships. It's death to the good in our hearts. It's death to us morally and spiritually in ways that we, we don't even want to think about or fully comprehend. It hurts us is the idea. It causes pain. It, it, it takes away from us. It ruins our name and our testimony. That's how sin works. We need leadership away from temptation, and we need deliverance from evil. And how do we get those things? Jesus said, after this manner, therefore pray ye. So tonight... After this manner, therefore, you need to pray. And tomorrow, 
after this manner. You need to pray, Lord, lead us away from temptation. Lord, deliver us from evil. And the us, you fill in those names. You specifically pray for those people. And you pray for yourself. God, help us. We need your leadership. We need your deliverance. Jesus knew the internal struggle of temptation. He understood the lure of the evil one as he sought to begin his ministry. But why was he so strong? Why was even in an emaciated state able to withstand the wiles of the devil? Because he had put on the whole armor of God. He had just been praying for 40 days. And so while Satan comes to him and thinks he's weak, he's not as weak as he looks. Why? Because in his flesh, he was weak, but he had the armor of God on. And that's what we need. And we only get that through prayer. Daily, we come to the Lord. And Jesus is saying, come to me, and I'll lead you. Come to me, and I'll deliver you. We need to pray. We need to ask for God to do those things in our hearts.